things tend to go better at the end of your life if you've made a plan. It's called an advanced directive. And I wanna start with a couple stories about what that really looks like. I'm Emily Laurie and I am a home-based palliative care social worker. So I get to be sitting in somebody's home, in their living room, at their bedside, at one of the most pivotal points in their life. When I turn the doorknob and walk into somebody's home for the first time, I don't know what I'm walking into. I can read the chart notes, I can review the medical records, you know, I can review everything that's written on paper, but until I open that door and walk into their home, I don't really know what I'm walking into. I'm coming into their life at a point where they're having to make some really difficult decisions and, if willing, are in a process in their life where they're really clarifying what's most important and what makes my life worth living. So some people clarify that very quickly and others that takes years. I asked Emily, what's it like to be around a family who's had those conversations and has an advanced directive and contrast that with what it's like when they don't? Although there may be physical pain or agitation that comes up at end of life, to be able to embrace what is facilitates a more peaceful life closure, not only for the person that's doing the dying, but also for the loved ones and the caregivers that they're leaving behind. I've also seen that those of us who are less open to facing the end, a lot of times don't plan. And where that gets tricky is that it puts the people that love you in a difficult position to have to guess or wonder what you would want. And it's one thing to be making those decisions in the moment. And it's a completely different thing to have to live with those decisions that you made without knowing whether or not they were the right ones. Death has an amazing, amazing way of quickly illuminating life. The problem is, I think, that we live within a system, medically and culturally, where this is not something that we talk about or face until oftentimes it's staring us in the face. And just like anything, being prepared is important. I want to live in a world where we aren't waiting until our deathbeds to shine the light on what it means to be alive. So think about the difference that advanced directive makes for one family. And now multiply that by 60 million. That's how many people die every year. And only about 30% of them have that plan. This problem has a solution. It's a simple solution that would result in better outcomes for all of us and hospitals and doctors and insurance companies, everybody. But it requires a change in the system. And changing a system, especially a big system, isn't simple. My name's Brian Hayden. This is Redesigning the End, a show about the decisions we face at the end of life. So do you wanna hear the solution? All right, here it is. I'm Stephanie Anderson, and I am the Executive Director of Respecting Choices. And Respecting Choices is a national organization 
that supports community and healthcare organizations across the country and actually across the world to implement and sustain advanced care planning and shared decision-making in serious illness programs. Combining those together, we call that delivery of person-centered decision-making care. I first heard about Respecting Choices in a 2014 NPR Planet Money episode called The Town That Loves Death, and I've never forgotten it. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. The episode is about an amazing thing that happened in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Two amazing things, actually. Number one is that 96% of the population has an advanced care directive. That's higher than anywhere in the country. And number two is that their per capita healthcare spending is the lowest of anywhere in the country. So the takeaway for me was that advanced care planning is like a miracle. It improves outcomes for patients, families, healthcare providers, everybody. So here we are seven years later, and my assumption would be that every hospital system in the world would be doing what they do in La Crosse, Wisconsin. But they're not. Why? That's why I needed to talk to Stephanie Anderson. The awareness really started back in the early 90s, and legislation was passed called the Patient Self-Determination Act. And it was federal legislation, and it focused on the importance of asking people if they had completed an advanced directive, and if they had, having it stored in the medical record of the healthcare system. And by advanced directive, that typically means a durable power of attorney for healthcare or healthcare agents. So naming an individual to speak for you if you're unable to speak for yourself and a living will. And the living will is typically a legal document that's written at a very high literacy level and only focuses on the end of life. And even at that, it's not very comprehensive and really being able to help the healthcare team know the individual's goals, values, and preferences. And so it was a great start to bring awareness to this work. And today, many people across the country know what an advanced directive is because of that law. The failure was in that we didn't continue to adapt the law to what would work. We just kept it the same. And probably 20 years ago, there were about 25% of the population that had completed an advanced directive. Most have stored it in a safety deposit box, so it doesn't do the clinical team any good. And 20 years to now, it's about 26, 27% have completed an advanced directive. So we've not made progress in the completion of the documents. So we've done a lot of education, but that did not motivate change. The engagement, motivational engagement to, mo- to have change was not there. But even if it was, even if I was reporting 60%, we're done now, it really doesn't work if it's a legal standard advanced directive because clinicians can't use it. It doesn't help them. And so what, what we're advocating the country to do is revising these documents to meet the laws in each of the states, but to have them be more comprehensive and more effective in being able to convey the individual's goals, preferences, and uh, any treatment decisions that they've made, ensuring that it is stored, the the system, the process component, getting it from the individual 
creating it into the healthcare system so it's accessible when needed in a crisis. So in her role, Stephanie is thinking a whole lot bigger than how do we get one person to do an advanced care directive. She needs to think about how do we get everybody doing an advanced care directive. It's critically important that we focus on developing highly reliable systems. And by that, an analogy I could use is CPR. That's a highly reliable system. If you're in the hospital and your heart or breathing stops, there's a system that kicks in place immediately so you get the care from the people that are supposed to be providing the care at the point of care when you need it. So we do that same philosophy in helping these organizations develop the systems that support this story coming to fruition. The system to recognize that somebody's ready for an advanced care planning conversation and then getting that person connected to a resource to help them if they need help with the conversation. The system to get the output of the conversation, any decisions made from the conversation into places like a medical record that can be accessed and the system to provide the education so people know how to do this work, how to integrate advanced care planning into the shared decision-making conversation. And then finally, and most importantly, how to use the information to provide the care that the patient does or does not want. So that's, that's kind of one of the things I think Respecting Choices is quite unique in that we're one of the only organizations that focuses so much on that system component to ensure that the education sticks. A lot of organizations focus on the education alone, thinking that will work. But as we know through the Patient Self-Determination Act and the advanced directives, education about the importance of doing this has not worked and it's not enough. So here we are. Advanced care planning is this amazing miracle, but without the systems in place to deliver it at scale, we're stuck at 30% of the population having one. I know, systems are boring, but they work. Systems are how Disney World consistently delivers a magical experience to every family. Systems are how Pixar makes great movies and how the best hotels operate. But besides being boring, you know the other problem? The bigger problem? You can't bill for systems. Systems are not directly tied to hospital revenue. The number one problem that we hear everywhere we go is that there's a deficit of resources, both human resources and financial resources to do this work. And it's soul crushing, actually. I, I just, I use a strong term, it is soul crushing because in, in our opinion, what could be more important than talking to the people you're serving? And yet it just gets deprioritized behind other initiatives, especially ones that bring more money into the organization. And so that lack of resources is, I would say, the number one barrier for this being a standard of care in every organization across the country that it should be in. And again, it's heartbreaking for us, but we're working on it as hard as we can with whoever we can to try to either create workaround solutions in some way, integrating technology, the application of technology into this work. We've been working very hard the last couple of years, working with partners to do that and, and thinking of other strategies, because uh, as we know in the U.S., with healthcare being so expensive already, unless something else gives, there won't be 
human and financial resources for this. So we, we've got to figure out a solution to that. The problem is that about 70% of older Americans, when they're asked, say they would want to die at home surrounded by loved ones. But in reality, 70% of older Americans die in a medical setting. And, you know, if you think about that, it just makes you wonder, how does that happen? How can that happen in our society? So how do we unlock the resources to put these systems in place? It's one of my goals for the show. And if you have ideas or want to learn more about Stephanie's work, we've got links in the show notes at the website. Emily, Stephanie, thank you for the work you do. I also want to thank Pat Couples, who provided original music. Additional music was provided by Hotels and Highways and Moby. If you're listening, it means you're still alive. So I hope you enjoy it.